Today we're talking about the second part of training a nation. Uh, We started this last week. We've actually started this series many, many weeks ago talking about training. But last week we started on training a nation. And we talked about the first four parts, the things that are required of us to see God return to the land, to see God restore, to see God bring about revival, which we so desperately need. And we started by simply talking about my people. If my people who are called by my name, and a lot of people attribute that and say, well, he's talking to Israel. And the answer is yes, he's speaking to Israel at that time because Israel was the ones who were called by his name. Israel simply means one who wrestles with God and man. And they knew that. And so they were called by the name of God. But we also know that God is speaking to us as Christians because we too are called by his name. As Christians, we are called little Christ. That's simply what the word Christian means. We are little Christs. And so therefore, we are part of his people who are called by his name. And then it tells us four things. It says, if we will humble ourselves. I think the greatest step to humility, and we talked about it last week, is recognizing who we are when it comes to the infiniteness of God. When we recognize how big he is, we see just how small we are. I wonder if you've ever stood beside somebody, and after you stood beside them, you thought to yourself, man, I am really little. You ever stood beside somebody like that? We got to stand beside a guy. Uh, He was going to go play for Duke. I, I couldn't believe he did that but he was going to go play for the university of duke and uh he was six foot eight and uh, i didn't even walk down there caleb was in the fourth grade at the time and he went down there and got a picture with him and i mean it was like huge difference he looked really tiny compared to this guy so there are sometimes that people dwarf us and make us look small when you look at yourself in the image of god and you look at yourself in the eyes of god we become very small. That's where it begins is humility, recognizing how awesome God is and how little we are. And then he says if they pray, and we recognize that prayer is our communication with God. It is our opportunity to speak to God, to seek his face, but it also shows our reliance on God, that without him, we can do nothing. So if God's people will humble themselves, pray, and seek his face. In other words, we have an honest desire to be in his presence. And if you're here today, I hope that's your desire, is to be in the presence of God, to be in his midst, to have him speak to you, to have him move in your life. We've got to seek his face. And finally, if we turn from our wicked ways, the idea is turning from our sinfulness. It is returning back to God and to a holy character and living for him. Those are the things that we as God's people are called to do. But then he gives us three promises. Three promises if we do those things. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want you to see first, the first promise is that he will hear from heaven. Look with me at 2 Chronicles 714. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I wonder how many of you have ever tried to get a hold of your parents. How many of you have ever been like in the middle of a crowd and you go, Mom, Mom, Mom. And then I'll go, Patrice, did you just call me by my first name? You didn't catch it with Mom three times, right? You think about that. Sometimes there's that distraction. There's The idea here is God is always listening 
The question is, is will he hear our prayers? Will he respond to them? The Bible makes clear that God responds to certain kinds of prayers. Second Chronicles 6, verse 20 and 21, this is something Solomon prayed. He said that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night, upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place. Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest forgive. Solomon began to beg God that if we pray towards this temple, please hear our prayers. Now here's the thing. Many of us have that auto tune out, you know. Somebody can call our name. Somebody can speak to us. How many of you have been guilty that when you pick up your phone and you see that person calling you, you go, not today, Satan. Right? How many of you have ever declined that call? Now, you may not call him Satan, but you decline that call and you move on, right? You're just like, I, you know what? I couldn't answer your call at that time. And you think about that. God's not like that. God's not going to put us on there and say, yeah, I'm not listening to that today. But there are certain requirements that bend the ear of God to hear our prayer. The first thing that bends the ear of God to hear our prayers is, first off, you must be his. You must be his. John chapter 9 and verse 31 says it this way. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. First, you must be a child of God for God to listen to you. Now, you might say, well, brother, how do you become a child of God if God won't hear our prayer? Well, the first prayer he'll listen to is the moment you repent of your sin and you turn your life over to him, and then he'll hearken to your prayers. But until you have repented of your sin, turned your life over to him, surrendered your all to him, he will not hear your prayers. You can pray a multitude of things, but God will not hear and God will not respond. He will not answer those prayers. You say, well, I've had prayers answered before. Well, that's good. Somebody else that was a Christian must have been praying for you. Think about that for a moment. God does not hear the prayers that are not his. He says he will not listen to the unrighteous, but he only listens to the righteous. And get this, says he'll listen to the righteous who follow his will. So that tells us a second thing. You must be obedient. You must believe when you pray as well. Think about this. In Mark chapter 11, In verse 24, Jesus was speaking about prayer there, and he says this, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. You've got to believe when you pray. In other words, you've got to believe that God is hearing your prayer. You also have to believe and leave it in the hands of God. I love Philippians 4, 6. It tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, the idea is simply this. If you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray. You either leave it in the hands of God or you keep it in your own hands. And I promise you, he can do a lot more with it if you turn it over to him. We've got to believe, we've got to trust that God is hearing our prayers. We also have to ask according to his will. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 teaches this principle. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. You see, here's the purpose of prayer. What we don't realize is we're not trying to change the mind of God. The truth of the matter is, is would you want to change someone who is perfect? Could you imagine that? How many of you would say you married the perfect person? (laughs) 
we need to have some marriage counseling after this. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you think about that. You'd say you married the perfect person. Now, when you think about that, if they really are perfect, then that means you want to change absolutely nothing about them. Nothing. Why? Because if they're perfect, they have no need to change. If God is perfect, he has nothing to change, not even his mind or his will. So to be honest with you, prayer is about God changing our wills, God changing us to where we pray for his will to be done because we understand at that point he knows what's best for us. We've got to pray according to his will. But also you need to understand you need to be his. You must believe. You must act according to his will. And you must abandon your sin. Listen to Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Isaiah is not the only one that speaks that way. In the book of Psalms, David says in Psalm 66 and verse 18, he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Let me tell you something. If you want to find out if God is hearing your prayers, the first thing you need to check is your life to make sure that there's not sin within it. God will not listen to the prayers of a child of his that's living in sin. That's kind of like a child that is grounded And then they go to the parents and ask for something else. We've been grounded by God because of sin. And because we haven't repented of that sin, God will not hear our prayers. God's desire, and here's the truth of the matter. God's desire is to forgive you of your sins, but you must confess them and you must forsake them in order for him to forgive you for them. We can't hold on to it. If you want to know if God's hearing your prayers, and I tell you, God answers our prayers. I'm sorry, Garth Brooks is completely wrong. There's no such thing as unanswered prayers. You realize that, right? That is unbiblical and it is not proper. You say, well, how do you know that? You're saying God answers every prayer. The answer is yes. God answers every prayer. You ready? If your request is wrong, God says no. He has every right to tell you no. He's God and you're not. Here's the thing. God may say, you know what? That's not what you need for your life. No, I'm not giving that to you. No, you can't have that. It's just like a parent. As a parent, we're allowed to tell our children no. Some of y'all need to learn that. It is okay to say no. God will say no, and he has every right and every authority to say no. So if your request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. In other words, I'm going to answer that prayer, but you got to wait. There's still some things that need to happen. There's still some things that are going on. I'm not ready to answer that prayer just yet. Maybe God's trying to grow you. Maybe God's trying to help you along that process. Maybe God wants to see how much you'll persevere in those prayers. God may say slow because the timing's not right. God also will teach you a third thing in prayer. Not only if the request is wrong, God says no. And if the timing is wrong, God says slow. But if you are wrong, God will tell you to grow. In other words, if you got sin in your life, that may be an avenue you might need to check. Because if there's sin in your life and God's not answering your prayers, God wants you to get rid of the sin in your life and then he'll answer your prayers. God wants you to grow in your faith. So here's the thing. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing's wrong, God says slow. If you're wrong, God says grow. But if the timing and the request and you are right, God says go. Yes, God will answer in the affirmative many a time. But you've got to make sure that your heart is right. You've got to make sure that you're a child of the king. You've got to make sure you're asking according to his will. And God will hear from heaven. I believe that God has turned his ear from America, if you want my honest opinion. 
And God has turned his ear from America because America has turned their lips from God. We've stopped praying to him. We've stopped believing in him. We've stopped trusting in him. You say, oh, brother, well, that's not me. Well, good for you. But you know what? You're only one citizen in the United States, and we need to be praying for this country to turn back to God. We need God to come in here in a mighty swooping way. It used to be that over 50% attended church. Now it's far less than that. It used to be that we were a, a nation under God, but it doesn't seem to be that way any longer. Now they've redefined the term God to be any God. We know it to be Yahweh, the only God. When you think about it, we've redefined so many things. If we want God to hear from heaven, then we better get back to praying and seeking his face. He makes the promise, I'll hear from heaven. Number two, he makes another promise. He says, I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. You realize our God is a forgiving God, right? He's a very forgiving God. In fact, in Psalm 103, it says he'll cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. You know what's amazing about that is the east and the west don't meet together. They don't connect. The east is from the west. Your sins are cast. They're gone. They will not meet. They'll never come back to you. When God forgives, he forgives completely. The Bible tells us in Micah 7, 19 that he casts our sins into the sea. He makes it abundantly clear that they're vanished. They're gone away. The amazing thing that you got to think about is even in the prayer that Jesus modeled for us, he says what? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is indebted to us, is given to us as we forgive others. Verses 14 and 15 teach that. But the Bible also tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all iniquity. We serve a forgiving God. But here's the problem. We're not genuine in our repentance a lot of times. The problem is, is we might say, well, God, please forgive us. We're, we're so sorry in hopes that God will return to us. But then we keep going back to the sin. Forgiveness is extended to those who have genuine and truthful repentance. And God needs to forgive our land. I began to read and see what people thought about what are the national sins of America. You realize we have many national sins that we need to be praying about and asking God to forgive us as a nation. I'm going to share a few of those with you. Number one, we have forsaken God. We as a nation have forsaken God. You say, well, how do you, what do you mean by that? Well, number one, we've forsaken him in the school system. Do you remember when they used to allow prayer in school? Some people say, well, you know what? I'm glad they took prayer out of school. Well, I'm glad you're okay with that because the worst problem back then in school was chewing gum. Now it's killing Back then, chewing gum was the worst problem in the school system when we prayed, when we sought the face of God, when they read the Bible in school, when they were unafraid to teach the truths of God. We actually had a moral society, and we've fallen away from that long, long ago. We also forsaken God and our government. We've forsaken him. We've turned away from him. Do you realize that the history of this great country was founded on the freedom? It was founded so that Christians might worship God, might glorify him, and not have those infringements impeded upon them. To not have the government come in and try to shut us down. We have those freedoms. That is what this country was started on because they realized in England they were having their rights trampled on. So they moved to America, not knowing where they were going, but they moved to America. They found this place. They found it upon Christian principles and now we're removing it out of our textbooks removing it out of our history and removing it out of our government we have forsaken 
God. We have turned far from God. We are seeking our own ways. In fact, the problem is, is I believe in the pursuit of liberty and freedom and also the pursuit of happiness, but we've lost sight of what the pursuit of happiness is. We've forsaken God. Number two, abortion. Abortion is a national sin. You say, well, I don't believe it. I'm not with it. Do you realize that since Roe v. Wade, there have been over 62.6 million abortions in America? 62.6 million abortions since Roe v. Wade. How astounding. Why are we not crying out in desperation to end this atrocity? I always think it's funny when women will come up and they'll go, my body, my rights. Let me tell you something. You're right. It is your body. It was your body before you decided to conceive that child. It was your body so that you could abstain and say no to that man and not do what it takes to have it. It was your right to take birth control to keep yourself from having that child. It was your right to do all kinds of things. But once that baby's in your belly, it is no longer your right. No longer your right. If the saying, my body, my right, is true, then you are killing that baby and you're taking away that baby's rights. Plain and simple. Man, it is an atrocity that we're seeing in this country when 62.6 million babies have been aborted. And when we stand there and we say, well, there's all kinds of reasons for it. Let me explain something to you. Murder is murder. Plain and simple. If you read in the law of God and you read back in the book of Exodus, it said that if a woman was pregnant and a man fell upon her and injured that child, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and a life for a life, including the baby in the womb. If the baby was killed in the womb, the person who killed the baby in the womb died also. That's simple. God knows it's murder. Because in Jeremiah 1, 5, he says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. You want to call it a fetus and try to make yourself feel better? You are a fool. It is a baby. It has always been a baby. It's been in the mind of God. It's a baby. It is a child, plain and simple. We've got to repent of the 62.6 million murders that have occurred in this country under the guise of abortion. You want to know the third national sin? Is gay pride. Now let me tell you something. Anytime we celebrate any sin. Please understand I'm not just picking on homosexuality. But if you celebrate any sin. You're a fool. But we've now given an entire month. The month of June to gay pride month. How ashamed should we be? We've now taken a promise, a symbol of God's grace and hope in the rainbow and turned it into a symbol of immorality. We can't go on vacations without there being gay pride weeks at many of the spots that we go to on vacation. Here's the truth of the matter. That's less than 1% of this nation. Why are we bowing to less than 1% of the nation and excusing that sin? Let me tell you something. Some people say, well, God's not upset with homosexuals anymore. Because they were born that way. (laughs) You are not born that way. We would never allow anyone else to get away with their sin saying they were born that way. A murderer is not born a murderer. And here, I'm going to throw this one out there because this is where it's coming from. And this is where our society is headed. Once we accept homosexuality, next is pedophilia. We would never accept somebody saying, well, I was born that way. I just love children. That's where it's headed. Trust me. We've got to be careful 
As a nation, we should never, never parade sin. Our fourth national sin is greed. Our fourth national sin is greed. We are $28.5 trillion in debt as a nation. Who has the credit card? $28.5 trillion. Please don't look at it and go, it's all Biden's fault. No, Trump was the problem too. He raised the debt as well. Before that, it was Obama. They all messed it up. They've all, basically, they have bankrupted our children's future to give them satisfaction now. It is greed, plain and simple. And here's the thing that bothers me. If you're a senior adult and you keep hearing from these morons that they're going to take away your Social Security because you didn't earn it, if you believe that, you're foolish. You paid for it. It's yours The problem is, is the greedy government keeps wanting more and more and more. And if you think government is going to be the solution, you are fooling yourself. Government will never save this nation. It is going to be God's people that turn the church and turn the communities and turn the states and turn the country back to God. It's got to be us. A fifth national sin, I believe, is an addiction to sex, money, and worldly pleasures. If you don't believe me, it is so simple to find on television. Everything is about this. Everybody thinks they have to have it. We are in a society that believes in the immediacy of being popular. We TikTok it. We Instagram it. We Snapchat it. We put it all over for everybody to see the grotesque sins that we commit because we want more views than we want God to view. We have gotten to a point where we want everybody's satisfaction. We want everybody's pleasure. We want everybody's eyes to see what we're doing because we want our five minutes of fame. The problem is, is what do your five minutes of fame come to? What does it come about? What will it do for you? Let me tell you something. I'm more concerned about the day that I stand before God in judgment than if I ever stand before my peers in public because God is going to judge me eternally, not my peers. We have gotten to a world where we are sinning because of our addictions to sin. And number six, we've marginalized truth. We have marginalized truth. You say, what do you mean we've marginalized truth? Well, here's the thing. We've come to a point in society where what's true for you may not be true for me. Let me just tell you something. Truth is still truth whether you believe it or not. We've marginalized it. We've come to a point where we just allow truth for anything. We, we say that what, I want to believe what I want to believe, but there's a problem with that. What I want to believe is what God's Word tells me to believe. Why? Because God is the ultimate standard whether you believe it or not. Because one day every single person, Christian, non-Christian, will stand before this God and His truth will stand upon their lives and they will be measured by the truth of God's Word whether they want to be or not. And they can say, well, God, I didn't know. And He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Every last one of us will stand upon the truths of God's word, whether we believe what God has told us, whether we lived how God told us to live, if we did what God told us to do. It's all going to be based on that. We've marginalized truth. You want to know why? Because if we can marginalize truth, we can destroy morality. If it's not wrong for you, then it's okay for you to do it. And out goes morals within this country. Let me tell you something. The left is trying so hard to steer this ship into an unsinkable hole, uh, into a hole where we'll continuously sink, where we'll never come up. We're down a slippery slope that's going to be hard to climb out of. And it's because we are marginalizing truth so that we can continue in our sin. 
We need to take the high road. But we need God to forgive us, and we need him to forgive us soon. Because I'm here to tell you, if we continue in our sins, God is not pleased. And he will not be pleased with our country, nor will he hear our prayers if we don't seek his face. The last promise is he'll heal their land. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. You realize this goes along with Solomon's prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. You can look over and see some of these things. But it goes right along with what Solomon prayed as he prayed over the temple of God. One of the first things he prayed about was a man's oaths in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 6. If a man sin against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear, and the oath come before thine altar in his house, then hear thou from heaven and do and judge thy servants by requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his own head, and by justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Oaths. You say, well, what's, what's the deal about oaths? Well, as Americans, we made a couple of oaths. Every time we stand up and we pledge allegiance to the flag, we declare that we are one nation under God. Every time you spend a dollar, you are declaring in God you trust. As a nation, we have made those oaths long ago. The question is, are we following through with those oaths today? And the answer is no. And here's what God says to the wicked who abandons his oath. They will recompense and have paid for. Their sins will come upon their heads. But for the righteous who are living according to those oaths, God will lay down his blessings and his righteousness upon them. We've got to be careful that we keep the oaths that we've made as a nation. And then if they were defeated by an enemy in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 6, if my people be put to the worst before the enemy because they've sinned against thee and shall return and confess thy name and pray and make supplication before thee in this house, then hear thou from heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel. Flip over and you'll see it in verse 36. If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and be thou angry with them and deliver them out before their enemies, and they carry them away captives unto a land far off or near. Yet if ye bethink themselves in the land, whither thou carried captive, and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done amiss, and we have dealt with if they return to thee and with all their heart, and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whether they are carried their captives and pray toward their land which thou givest unto their fathers, toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house which thou hast built for thy name, then hear thou from heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause and forgive the people which have sinned against thee. You say, what enemy has captivated us? The left. The left has captured this country. Absolutely. The left continues to steer us down an immoral path. Now, please understand, there's left in both camps. So don't sit there and think you're better because you're a Republican or a Democrat. The left is everywhere. The left is anything that turns us down an immoral path. The left is anything that takes us away from God. The left is anything that steers us in a path that doesn't lead us to God. That's the left. The left has captivated this country. It has turned away from its morality. The left is the one that keeps steering the ship, and we keep going with it. If we don't stand up against it, God will not hear from heaven. He'll not forgive our sin, and he won't keep blessing us as he has year after year after year. Let me just tell you something. If you think America's blessed right now, you're fooling yourself. Look at all the problems we have. We got a lot of problems. 
And in the world thinks that we don't have a lot of problems. I've never seen so much murder, so much hatred, so much bigotry, so much racism, so many problems. I've never seen it in my lifetime. And yet now we're faced with it more and more. Why? Because we've done away with truth. We're getting rid of morality and we're seeing the demise of a country. If you don't believe me, go over to the continent of Europe and see what happened over there when they did away with truth and they did away with morality. Look at what's going over in Europe. I'm going to tell you, they, have, they don't have a lot of churches anymore. They have a lot of museums. They have a lot of places you can visit and they sure do look pretty, but they don't have many people in them. That's what's happened in a country that turned away from truth and morality. That's what happened to an entire continent that turned away from truth and morality and they're paying for it. And America will follow if we're not careful. He also talked about drought and famine in verse 20, 26. When the heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against thee, Yet if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin, when dost thou afflict them? Thou hear from heaven, forgive their sins. Verse 28, if there be dearth in the land and there be pestilence, and there be blasting or mildew, locusts, caterpillars, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their lands, whatsoever sore, whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or the supplication soever be made of any man of all the people of Israel, when everyone shall know his own sore and his own grief and shall spread forth his hands in the house, then hear from heaven the dwelling place and forgive and render unto every man according unto his ways. You say, are we experiencing a drought and a famine? No, we still have rain. No, we still have food. You know what drought and famine we're experiencing? It's a drought of the Word of God. Amos declared it. There's going to be a time where we experience a drought of the Word of God. I'm going to tell you why it's happening. It's happening because people in the churches are wanting their ears to be tickled. They want sweet pretty messages. They want things that are easy believism. They want you to tell them what they want to hear as opposed to what they need to hear. We're experiencing a day and age where churches are turning from the truth and they're turning to philosophies that are driving a wedge between truth and morality, driving a wedge between God and what the world wants. I'm here to tell you if we're not careful, we're going to see this demise go on and on. But what we need is we need stronger pulpits. We need to be praying for all churches. We need to be praying for God to get a hold of pastors and if God doesn't get a hold of those pastors, we need to pray that God remove them from their pulpit or he begin to fill them with the Holy Spirit and use them once again. Because what we need is we need strong preaching in this country once again. There is a great famine. And I'm going to tell you, let me tell you, sometimes it's not the preacher. Sometimes it's the people. Because to be honest with you, the word can be preached. But if you don't have ears open to hear and eyes open to see and a heart open to receive, you'll be bitter as you leave church. Some of y'all may leave bitter today. Some of you may be very unhappy when you leave today. That preacher did nothing but ridicule this country. No, I love this country. I want to see this country come back to God. But let's just be honest. If sin is sin back then, sin is still sin today. And we better speak out against it. And we better do something about it. We've experienced a drought and a famine of the Word of God. I'm here to tell you, don't take yourself down to Houston, Texas, where you'll find the most phony preacher in all the world. Preaches an easy believism, a health and wealth prosperity gospel, and he'll send you to hell just alongside of him. We need preachers that are no longer like that. We need more Adrian Rogers in the pulpit. We need more men of God that are going to preach the truth of God and stand on the word of God. There's a drought in the land, and we need God to heal it. And lastly, I love this one about, about strangers in verse 32. Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but it's come from a far country. For thy great name's sake and thy mighty hand and thy outstretched arm 
If they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even from the dwelling place, and do according to all the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel. Today, you may be a stranger in here. You may not be a child of God. You may not be a Christian. But here's the amazing thing about it. God would love to hear from you. But what he wants to hear from you first is simply this. God, forgive me for my sins. I know what your son Jesus Christ has done for me, and I confess him as Lord of my life. I'm here to tell you God's desire is to change your life. It's not to leave you where you're at. It's not to keep you in the same boat you're in. God wants to hear your prayers. God wants to speak to you. God wants to dwell inside of you. God wants to change you. But you have got to want it. He'll not force himself on you, but he'll give you the opportunity. He says, if the stranger comes in, at that time it was anybody outside of Israel, could come into the temple and someone said, God, I want you to hear from them. I want you to listen to them. I want you to answer them. And I'm here to tell you that's what we want here at Hillcrest. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I hope you know we absolutely love you. We love you more than you could imagine. You may say, well, you don't even know me. That's okay. I don't have to know you. I know you enough that I love you. I know you enough I want you to be my brother or my sister in Christ. I know you enough that God loves you. I know you enough that simply this, I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. I love you enough that if you're in sin, we'll call it out. If you are in need of righteousness, we'll help you get there. We want to help you any way we possibly can. But our desire is to see you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will never find a greater freedom or a greater love. We need God to heal our land. I'm here to tell you, we need God to heal it and heal it desperately. We need God to come in because the things that I see on the media are just plumb crazy. The things that are going on all over the world with the riots and the upheaval and all the problems, I'm here to tell you they could all be solved if people would just turn their lives over to Jesus. You see, I love an old church sign that said this, No God K-N-O-W. No God, no peace. But then on the bottom it also said, no God, N-O, no peace. I'm here to tell you, God wants to heal the land, but he needs his people. He needs his people who were called by his name to humble themselves, pray and seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. And then we can begin to help this country to heal And be all God desires it to be. Because he desires to hear from heaven. Forgive our sin. And heal our land. Let's pray. Father.